2: KPRZ. I'm Ken Anderson along with David Ross and George Allman. Mark Mahady has the day off. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. A little overcast at our house today?
1: And I did notice it was overcast at my house this morning. I did not see stars this morning, just in case. It
3: it was really foggy as I was leaving the house. I didn't know if I was going to be late, actually. It was so foggy I was driving slow, but once I got down off the hill, it was okay.
2: I had no fog at my house, but uh, it was definitely overcast
3: mount high mount high yes.
2: <laughs> it was interesting yesterday um oh i guess it was about mid-morning melanie and i went over over to del mar and uh, we went to the track and it was it was beautiful at the racetrack i mean True. it was sunny and relatively warm and nice little breeze blowing just check ab- the progress
1: on the new nursery
2: no i did not because um, we, we didn't have a new nursery there but um it was it was just a, it was a beautiful day at the track and then when we were leaving we left the main parking lot and turned south on Jimmy Duran Boulevard. Just figured we'd drive down through Delmar Village, um, down to Sorrento Valley Road, and then or Carmel Valley Road, I guess it is, and then back to the nursery. And by the time we got down to the intersection of Carmel Valley Road and Pacific Coast Highway, just above Torrey Pines Beach, completely socked in with clouds. Com- I mean, there was no sun at all. And how far is that? I mean. Two miles. Maybe? You
1: were in the only strip in the county that is not under a a
2: high heat warning. Probably That's right
1: there along the coast. It was it, it
2: was it was actually kind of gray and miserable um, in Torrey Pines yesterday. I, w- I was shocked because it was it, Ken, Ken it wasn't sounds that like far. Me.
3: Because it's a little overcast and cool, he sounded just <laughs> like me.
1: Cold and miserable, <laughs> yeah. No, yes, it was, and you had to drive east one more mile to be back at eighty plus degrees. Something and, about
2: that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. Um, yeah, just a little bit east of the of the five, it it started clearing up again. So it was. It's interesting. You know, I've there have been times in the summertime where I've left, I've left the Poway store, and it was over a hundred degrees to go have lunch with somebody in del mar and there's an over 30 degree temperature drop just in the in the short distance there is between just just the distance of the 56 there there can be a 30 degree temperature drop. Well, temperature that's, drop
1: that's the way it's going to be for the remainder of this week and into next week with just along the immediate coast being nice and temperate or non-george weather as we like to call it here at garden talk radio
3: funny you say that we had dinner in mission beach on monday night and i left in shorts and i brought a pair of jeans just in case and i changed before i left the car once we got down, right. once we got down there and parked <laughs> it was so overcast and cool yes but they were normal there were normal regular people walking around children in
1: shorts. don't worry that's not a stranger that's just george in an overcoat because it's getting down into the upper 70s and he needs extra warm now see
2: if you were in mission beach you could have just gotten out and wrapped a beach towel around you and changed in the beach towel and no one would have thought any different of it that's true They yeah. would have thought he was a surfer yeah yeah everybody knows oh <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see we do have classes today in both stores uh, San Diego at nine o'clock today. It's going to be tea time with Kathleen, which I'm assuming is how to make your own tea. We, hopefully, we'll get some more information on that shortly. Um, and in Poway at nine thirty, special class today: backyard tropical fruit with Mike, Le- Mike Letzring. Um, should be a should be a good class. He knows a, he knows a lot about it. Um, been, and we and we've got some interesting stuff to show you as got well. Got some new plants in, yes. So. You know, hopefully, folks will stop by either of those to take a look. Next Saturday, July 22nd, um, at San Diego, it's going to be at 9 o'clock. It's going to be Container Do's and Don'ts with Constance, or Costanza, or Constance, excuse me. Um, and 9.30 in Poway, it's going to be Fairy Gardens which, with Richard Wright. I don't think we've done a Fairy Garden class in a It's wanna... been
3: at least two years, maybe more. Yeah,
2: so, so something, something that's still very popular. Yeah. Um, So you can stop in and see either of those. And then to round out the month, on July 29th in San Diego, it's going to be Saving Seed with Richard. Not Richard, right. Richard from the San Diego store. Uh, 930 in Poway, it's going to be Carnivorous Plants with Sydney. So you can stop in and see I I don't want
1: to name names, but somebody who appears to have lots of concern for George when it gets cold seems to have less concern for you when it gets cold, Ken, and I'm not sure why that is, and I'm going to have to do a little research and try and figure that out. Either that or maybe I misunderstood the text and we're not as concerned about you getting cold down at the beach as we used to be. I, I'm I'm not sure I'm working on it, and I'll see if I trying can. Trying to get some
2: clarification Yes, there? before the end of the show. Okay. Uh, let's see. In Balboa Park, I uh, don't think there's anything going on today in my notes. I have uh, the Orchid Society show and sale is coming up at the end of the month. That's the 28th, 29th, and 30th. That's their summer show and sale. And like we said, the Orchid Society has has two or three shows throughout the year. And you need to go to all. If you really want to get an idea of what you can grow and what's out there, go to all of them. Because Everyone is a different season, and orchids definitely have a seasonality to them. So you'll see stuff at some that you won't see at others. Uh, they're always they're always worth going to going to take a look at.
1: Is that why the ones in my backyard aren't always in bloom?
2: I don't, well, I don't know what kind you have in your backyard.
1: Different kinds, and they're not always in bloom. Well, that could be. And they bloom at different times.
2: Or either that or you just I don't take just care of them.
1: I was affirming you, Mr. Adams. Oh,
2: okay. Well, I it it was going to say. It as planned. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, just, I was trying to okay, do. Maybe if they had the proper care, they would do well. Ooh.
1: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> well placed, sir. Wow.
2: Uh, let's see. October. Or October. August 4th, 5th, and 6th, It's the, we had a call, uh, was it last week, from the Carnivorous Plant Society? They are having their show and sale. August fourth, fifth, and sixth, um, which is the weekend after Sydney does our class in Poway, so you can go to the class, get an idea of what's going on. Then, if we don't have what you're looking for, you can go down to their show and sale and see if you can pick it up there.
3: And if you need more carnivorous plants, the San Diego Botanic Garden has their Savage Gardens exhibit going. It's from oh, is that yeah, going on now? It started the first of July. It goes through October.
2: I'm gonna have to go check that out.
3: And it's in the conservatory.
2: Uh Mel and I were walking through the store yesterday and uh, walked by the by the carnivorous plant bog over it and by the railroad in Poway, and it looks amazing right now. It's incredible how red those pitcher plants get this time of the year in, when they get some sun on them. Somebody's and, uh, been
3: feeding them a bit.
2: And a lot of stuff's in bloom. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, what are you I, feeding them?
3: Max C. And they're liking it. And they're liking it. Yeah. You're seeing... I'm seeing a noticeable immediate. difference. Yeah, they, they they look brighter.
2: They yeah. they they look really good right now. But I couldn't believe how many flowers the the sundews had on them. Sundews, the, the, Venus flytraps. the Venus flytraps are and loaded with flowers and beautiful the pitcher plants yeah, they're all they're all loaded with well, flowers right now.
1: I have at home a hanging pitcher plant and it is still alive.
3: That's I amazing.
1: I killed it yet is it's, it outside? It's been almost a week. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that might be a You're record. You're pushing it.
1: <laughs> I think I took it last Saturday. I walked past the table and it was in a 4-inch pot, 20 bucks, and it was twice the size of the other ones and it had been a stock plant. It looked like it had been cut back and there were multiple heads coming off of it with multiple pitchers on it and I couldn't
3: couldn't resist. I
1: could not resist. What did you do? I took it home. Oh. And okay. I kept it alive for
3: he, he needed. Oh, actually, he today. needed the container, Ken. He needed the oh. container. So today
1: is a whole week. I did. I did uh, go over to House Plants and borrow a gallon jug of reverse osmosis water for it. So they're sitting right next to each other outside, getting morning sun, and both seem to be very happy. The water jug and the plant have survived the week.
2: Oh, that's excellent.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate
2: that. We're proud. You, you are you are most welcome. Um, let's see, what do we have to talk about today?
1: Oh, we have lots oh, to talk about, but oh, we haven't. Go are ahead. Are we done with the heat and taking care of things? And- well,
2: just I think, obviously, when it gets hot, you need to make sure that you adjust your watering schedules so that your plants get adequate water during. A, during I was this discussing time
1: that just yesterday at work.
2: With who? The customer. Or-
1: Lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> Various and assorted people. Um, and I did some watering myself. It is still surprising to me that people run drippers for between 5 and 10 and 15 minutes.
2: That's u- That's usually the standard protocol with people is to run a drip irrigation system for 10 and or 15 minutes. But they're
3: doing it three times a week, so yeah. they think they that there's adequate moisture. Water yeah, I, and I do it three times a week.
2: It's not. No, it's not even close.
1: That's not even good if I after i've spread all the mulch i've been spreading uh it just it still happens when people have their mindset that 3 times a week is a ton of water even though it's about a quart each each application or a pint actually i was doing some i was mathing in my head last week and somebody was giving their plant Mast a are pint hard. every yes <laughs> uh can we try a different <laughs> method i can't math um they were giving their plant and a, st- a plant that had been in the ground for more than a year less than a pint of water, but they were doing it frequently, so they thought it was a lot
2: yeah it's it's not but you know you know what surprises me even more with homeowners that come in and talk about how they're talk about their drip irrigation system and the way they're using it. What surprises me the most is how many people have drip irrigations that are installed by quote-unquote professionals <laughs> and they don't even know how to use it Their the mindset is so well, it's so there, set on a on a traditional irrigation right, system and it's there to save water so you, I'm, i yeah. it
3: less so i don't waste you know yeah waste it, water it,
2: it you you i have no problem i have no problem with um I have no problem with drip irrigation. I think it works well, especially in, specific, in certain applications. But you have to understand the way that the system works, and you have to operate the system the way that it works, or the way that it's supposed to work for it to be effective. Right. So.
3: Well, too many people, as you said, you, they, they have contractors come in and then install it, and then the individuals have no idea what it's doing. Because you'll ask them, well, how many emitters? What's the flow? And I don't know. Some I, It was set up.
2: It was set up yeah. by a professional. Right. Yeah yeah that is absolutely true uh let's see we're gonna go to the phones real quick and we're gonna get some information where's that cursor at there it is okay uh olivia is joining us from our san diego store good morning olivia how are you Hi.
4: good how are you guys doing we're
2: good thanks for getting up so early to talk to us (laughs) it's no problem did you have
4: coffee yet I'm, I'm drinking a yerba mate right now. I'm, right, close. I'm drinking a yerba mate cake lately, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what's going on in the San Diego store?
4: Um, you know, we got in a, some amorphophallus cone jacks this week. I don't know if you guys maybe got some
2: in the Poway location too. We saw some I saw some up in the Poway location. We had a few. Yeah. In-
4: well those are Brian's. Oh the those were- the ones we had in okay. the office, yeah. The ones on the Yeah, floor. We, we got some uh some in from Monterey Bay. So those are those are pretty neat. I'm excited about those.
2: It should be a good one. Uh, sure. And the class today is going to be tea time with Kathleen.
4: Yep. Yes, that's right.
2: And she's going to be teaching people how to make their own tea, I imagine.
4: Yeah, going over some different herbs that can be used. Uh, she got a couple of Camellia sinensis. I know one of them actually got transferred from you guys um, to, you know, jasminium sambac. a couple different cool things.
2: Oh, it sounds like a,
4: yeah.
2: it sounds like a plan. Um, anything else going on down there?
4: Um, you know, we've had a lot of customers coming in with that southern purple mint moth. I don't know if you guys have seen that recently. It's a, a little funky, um, almost like a bagworm.
2: I don't think where I've they'd... seen it in Palmy. But what yeah. does it
4: look like? It's
3: it's not. We're not talking about the red humped caterpillar, right?
4: No, no, no. Um, they're little tiny caterpillars. They moth larva. They almost look uh, like a bagworm or something, where they sort of nest in like clusters like that
1: okay um, and what did you call it of, southern southern what
4: um, southern purple mint moss oh okay
1: all right
5: yeah
1: no, no i, I wonder if it likes way. the coastal temperatures more than the inland temperatures it's more like george no it's
2: <laughs> less like it's more like me than george there we go
4: <laughs> maybe yeah.
2: what is it usually what what are customers finding it on
4: um, mint most of the time, and then also rosemary. Interesting. So it not n- anything in that family, but mostly mints and rosemaries. So you've seen it on uh, a lot of frass. So hmm.
2: Poop. You yeah.
4: Poop and you find the bugs later. <laughs>
2: oh, okay. I'll have to, I have a few mint plants in my yard. I'll have to take a look and make sure that it's not on there. I, I, that's interesting that it'll go after um, rosemary because hardly anything goes after rosemary.
5: Yeah,
4: it is weird, right?
2: Yeah, about the only thing I've ever seen on rosemary is spittlebug. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah, we get a lot of that too. But yeah, kind of a new bug. I've, we have a lot of mint in our backyard, kind of growing in the alley, just wild. Mm-hmm. And the moths are kind of a kind of an orangey color, and they've got a little tiny purple stripe in them. So I guess that's where the purple mint moth comes from. But when we water, you can see them just come out like in mass. Oh,
2: I'll definitely have to check that one out. Yeah, interesting. Ooh. All right. Olivia, thanks so much for getting up this morning and talking to us about everything that's going down in San Diego. Hopefully, we'll get to talk to you again next week. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Okay, have a good good one. Take care. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. I'm Ken Anders, along with David Ross and George Allman. If you'd like to give us a call, 888 344 1170 is the number. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more right after this. With more Garden Talk on KCBQ and KPRZ, I'm Ken Anderson, along with George Allman and David Ross. Mark Mahady has the day off. I was looking through, we again, weekly. Wait, before you do go that. Go ahead. I just want
1: to go back to Southern Purple Mint Moth. I have seen their caterpillars on rosemary before. I just didn't know its name, and I didn't know it was so pretty. Because I've never seen the moth, only the caterpillars in the frass making a mess out of them.
2: Well, Like I said, I, I've got a huge rosemary in my backyard, and the only thing I have ever seen on it is a spittle, spittle bug. bug. And it's been a long time since that's been on it, but man, that's a disgusting animal. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Um,
1: I wonder what it says about people it comes across yeah spittle
2: in there. You mean when I'm out there hosing <laughs> it off of the plant? Um, which is actually the, one of the easiest ways to control it, is just go out with a strong stream of water, and you can knock it and all of its spit off of your I plant. I like
1: pinching... With my thumb and forefinger through the spittle to the bug and saying adieu, bug. No. Bye-bye.
2: I'm not going to do that. That's just gross. (laughs) Yeah,
1: which is okay.
2: (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Um, We get weekly updates from uh, Ball Publishing, which is a a division of Ball Horticulture, which... Keeps tabs on all kinds of stuff going on all over the country. Um, One thing that they, this week they had an article on powdery mildew on crepe myrtles. And as you know, I've been, I've been full time in this business for 42 years. And and talking about crepe, talking about um, mildew on crepe myrtles, I was not, I, I did not know that. You're so cute. That powdery mildew. Is specific to hosts.
1: I didn't the, know that either, but I just—I thought your pow, enthusiasm for this. This I, I,
2: I thought powdery mildew was powdery mildew, and if it got on one thing, it got on the other. But the powdery mildew that gets on your crepe myrtles is not the same powdery mildew that's going to get on your roses or going to get on your squash. But they're, like they're they're all different. Treatable the same. They're all treatable the, the same. Part. Yeah, for the most part, the treatment the treatment is the same. Uh, but I I found that I found that something interesting, and it just goes to show that you learn.
1: If you, if you pay learning.
2: attention, you learn something new from time to time. So,
1: Oh, you mean if you keep an open mind? Is that what you were saying as you were looking at me, Ken? Oh, I,
2: no, I, <laughs> no, I know. I'm glad he was looking insane. at you as he voiced that. Mm. I'll, I'll avert my eyes from, <laughs> from now on. If you want to give us a call today, uh, 888-344-1170 is the number. We're going to National City where Olivia is. Good morning, Olivia. How are you?
5: Good morning. Fine. Um, I called a couple months ago and I was, uh, I described a flower that I'm looking for. And someone called in and suggested it I, from my description, it seemed like it would be a drumstick. So I went to your store here in San Diego and I bought some and they're, you know, they're, they bloom now. But that's not, no, that's not it. <laughs> so I'm going to throw that question out again. Maybe someone, you know, well, help me identify D- describe
1: it. Describe it for us again. I remember your call, and somebody came yeah. up with the Crassipedia, I think. And I think, well, it, oh, it was John from. Yes, he he had had suggested that, and it sounded good. And so, I, I want everybody out there to know it was not the crew here that came up with the wrong answer. We just were purveyors <laughs> of that wrong of wrong information. Yes. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Let's try it again.
5: Okay. Um, all right, think uh, in the category of exotic. Maybe that, you know, that needs to be put out there. Okay, so now, think of a child cupping um, his hands, okay? And and his fingers are on the edges of the sphere, okay? Now, imagine his fingers that are like tiny, like, like a very thin, Long and curved like that, and they are no uh, the the diameter of each let's call say you know, fiber or strand is equivalent to the normal size of many flowers that have I I think they're called lintels. Is that right? L I N T I L? I don't know. You
1: you had me at the cupped hand, but you uh, lost me. You lost me after the cupped hand of the kid. What color? What color was the flower?
5: Well, the ones that my friend had, they were an iridescent, shiny gold color, and they looked like a little sphere, you know, on the top of a stalk. the The stalk was just straight up, little leaves, and then this beautiful gold globe that was made of lentils. That was made of, uh, you know, in the shape of of uh, like. Uh, child's cupped hands.
1: What color are are the leaves on this plant?
5: They were a, a, a what I would call a pale green, medium to pale green.
3: Are oh. they single stalk plants or is it more of a shrub with flowers on various stems?
5: Single stalk. Okay.
1: And is, it a, is the plant in a shrub form upright or is it more of a ground cover type growth?
5: Uh, upright upright. They would, uh, it wouldn't grow more than 18 inches. I think that was about the 18, 20 inches high. One stalk coming straight up. Then from that top of the stalk, it would branch out and cup around itself and make making a ball shape. And it was, uh, it was, it's exquisite. It's just I've never seen anything like it, and I would love to to uh, go some now myself. But I I don't even know what to ask for.
2: I was I was maybe a leonotus, something like where that where the flower curves back around into kind of a spherical shape. That's oh, but that's not, more shrub. Ye- what's the right? yellow one? The, it, the, le- the yellow one
1: is Flomus, to sage, yeah. but it has gray leaves. Grayish green, but that
3: gets yeah. very shrub-like, and it's much and, more than eighteen inches.
1: Notice yeah. is a good, but suggestion.
2: that's more of a it's more of an orangeish flower. It's rich orange. It yeah. is
1: rich, deep orange. But it has that, that kind world. of recurved, yes,
2: flower look to it.
5: Yeah, these yeah. were not orange. These were like iridescent gold.
1: Before you go to the store and buy it, do you have? Do you use a computer? And I don't mean that in a. Is no,
5: it, I. Yeah, I don't have a computer. Okay.
1: Because um, the Flomis, there, I think, is a green-leafed version of Flomis, and that gives you that whirl of foliage the way she uh, is describing I'll
5: it. A, I'll call a friend to, to, to look it up on the computer. I don't have and one, it's, but it's I think... Can... It's
1: P-H-L-O-M-I-S.
5: Oh, okay. P S.
1: P-H-L-O-M-I-S. And there's a pink one, there's yellow ones, and I think there is a green-leafed version, and I think it's shorter. Outstanding, Mr. Anderson.
2: <laughs> I, guess, I must not have been here the last time this question came up.
1: Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. I remember her calling, and, and John came to the rescue so that we didn't have to give her the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Can I ask you just a quick question? I, I, Certainly. Peat moss. What what is that used for? I bought some just pure meat uh, peat moss in a bag, thinking I'm going to use it as a mulch. Is that is that correct? Can I I,
2: I wouldn't use it as a mulch. Um, for one thing, it, when it gets dry, it it repels water rather than <laughs> it uh, be, be, yeah. It does. It doesn't like water when it gets real dry, and it makes it very difficult to. Uh, get wet it however it does make a very good soil amendment but you need to be careful with it because uh-huh. in some cases if you get too much peat moss into the soil it can hold too much water which will cause some issues with some plants but uh, for like camellias and azaleas it's an excellent soil amendment because it does it is an acidic uh soil amendment so it helps acidify the soil um but i would use it as a, i would use it as a soil amendment on a i I wouldn't overdo it, but you could certainly do it especially in an area if you have an area of your yard or your garden that tends to dry out a little faster than others, mixing some peat moss in there will help hold the moisture a little bit longer because it is when when you can get it wet it's very sponge like and if you have a problem getting it wet, you can add just a couple of drops of dish detergent to the water to break the surface tension and that'll help the water soak into it as well. But Ooh, I, I, wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't use it as a mulch, though, because it's sitting on the sitting on the top of the soil and having the sun bake on it, it's going to get dry. And then when you try to water, the water is going to run off of it rather than get, absorb into oh, it right. and, or get into the ground.
5: Got it. Oh, okay. thank you so much. Okay.
2: Thank okay. you. Thanks, Olivia. You have a great weekend.
5: Okay, you too. Bye-bye.
2: Okay, take care. Uh, you're listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more. Bob, stay on the line. We're talking to you when we come back. With more Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ, I'm Ken Anderson, along with David Ross, George Allman, and George Allman, Mark Mahadey has the day off today. Uh, If you want to give us a call, 888-344-1170 is the number. We are going to go down to Oak High Mesa, where Bob is waiting. Good morning, Bob. How are you?
5: Hey, I'm good. Hey, just a comment, uh, last week's uh, class on milkweed by Ryan, Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed it. It was very informative, and uh, maybe you guys can touch base with him as if he can't find his pen, I forgot to return it to him. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: <laughs> we can certainly let him know. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks for the call, Bob. Thanks for coming yeah. into the class, too. Appreciate it. Uh, um, it's a good segue into uh, into milkweed. And there's more information coming out about milkweed now that um, something that I've always... You something been- that I have always... Thought had gotten a bad rap as far as milkweed is concerned is tropical milkweed, and now it's there is more information starting to come out. Um, some of this from UCSD, I UC Riverside. Is that UC, excuse me, UC Riverside. Um, and there was a there was an excellent article that that I think or you, Davis. Were, you I take that back, Davis. Davis. UC Davis. You, you were right. the one that came up with it, right? Um, you know, fact: milkweed is the host plant of monarch butterfly Danaeus um Fact, without milkweed, there are no monarchs. Um, then it goes on to say, yet a milkweed species that's been thriving in California for more than a century is getting a bad rap. The California Department of Food and Agriculture, apparently influenced by conservation groups, has categorized Asclepius. Curasavica, uh commonly known as tropical milkweed as a noxious weed that means among other things that county agricultural commissioners can ban the sale of tropical milkweed in nurseries indeed several counties including Marin Contra Costa San Mateo and Ventura already have uh, banned for sale in nurseries says entomist entomologist Steve or Jeff Smith who curates uh, the Lepidoptera collection at the Bohart Museum of Entomology. There are plenty of other noxious weeds sold in nurseries, eucalyptus question mark, that don't seem to raise the hackles of these counties. So it appears more political than factual. And coming up with the supposed pathogens on plant scenario looks like they searched for an excuse. Fact, infected monarch butterflies can deposit microscopic protozoan parasites, Orthos Orthocytus electroshira or OE, I'll use OE from now on, uh, on milkweed. That's all species of milkweed, not just tropical. However, tropical does not die back in the wintertime in some parts of California, and that, some argue, encourages monarchs to continue to breed and impedes their migration to overwintering sites. Some blame this continued OE exposure to the decline in the monarch population. Um Al Shapiro, UC Davis distinguished professor of evolution and ecology. Uh, oh, that's sorry. That's a Hugh Dingle, distinguished professor emeritus of entomology, behavior, and evolution at UC Davis, and now a Marin County resident, is an internationally known expert on animal migration. He's researched animal migration for some fifty years. In the last twenty years or so, he has focused on monarch butterflies. He has authored two editions of Migration, Biology of Life on the Move, and some 100 papers. National Geographic featured Professor Dingle on its cover story on great migrations in November of 2010. Live Science interviewed him for its November 2010 piece on Why Do Animals Migrate? Uh, Professor Dingle responded to a recent front-page article in a Marin County paper about the ban on tropical milkweed. Banning tropical milkweed will not save the monarch, Dingle told reporter in an email in fact he said the ban will essentially have zero effect on monarchs and no one should rush out and pull out their tropical milkweed as it would be a waste of time and effort nurseries should also be able to continue to sell it um, the contents of his email which the professor shared with bug Squad, include there is not enough tropical milkweed planted to have much influence see the amount of um, asclepius syriacra and asclepius fascicularis throughout the american west not to mention various other species like erosa cordifolia californica etc um, yes there are parasites on asclepius curasavica as there are on all milkweeds the populations of monarchs that are doing just fine feeding exclusively on asclepius curasavica for example on many pacific islands such as guam where he studied them um migration and diapause that accompanies it and it in the fall are determined by shortening photo period and temperature warm temperatures can override short days hence the issue with climate change um, there is no significant influence of food plant um, so basically what they're saying basically what they're saying is that planting planting or growing tropical milkweed is not a problem, and this this information that they have put out now, and we could we should probably put a link on yep. the Garden Talk Facebook page. Um, this information that they're putting out now backs up information that I first brought up on this show a couple of years ago from the Texas Butterfly Ranch and their entomologist that said tropical milkweed is not the problem. Um, and they and they
3: recommend just cutting because it doesn't die back. Just cut it back by Thanksgiving, and you will eliminate and, that and OE the, problem and, for the next season.
2: Well, the other thing that it mentions in the article too is that if you just you wash the plants off, you can wash the you can wash the OE off of the plants with a strong stream of water. Of course, you don't want to wash the the eggs the, or, the the egg, the egg right? or the caterpillars off while you're doing that. Uh, but the the simple the simple care is just to, it's to cut it down. To cut it down, but I do find that interesting. In in the original articles that I saw coming out about it, and, and when they were talking about OE on on tropical milkweed, nobody ever mentioned that OE is on all the other milkweeds. No, too. It,
1: it sounded like it, it was sounded like it was a, a, specific, a
2: specific specific problem. And like it's mildew. Yeah, it's not. It it it's something that that carries over. So you have been saying that for years, and I, I well I. I, I have well so, done so you know, i i feel i feel somewhat i feel somewhat vindicated at at, at this point in time so and and when you know, I,
3: when i when i saw this article i went oh i need to get this to ken because he's been saying this and we need to reinforce it
2: <laughs> well, thank you i <laughs> appreciate that just uh, like a broken clock yeah and it it does also it does also point out that you know the tropical milkweed has been grown in california for over 100 years but the differences in migration have only come up over what the past 10 or 20 it's years. A, yeah, I think it's said the last decade. Yeah. Right. So it, it's it's probably not the tropical milkweed that is causing the changes. There's so, something else is going on um that's causing that's causing those those changes. So anyway, we will we will post this article if you would like to read it it's some very good information uh and some and I would say from some very well, very well qualified very well qualified sources as well. So if you're buying milkweed for for the monarchs, I would not feel bad uh, putting in some tropical milkweed if you like. We do have the we we do we have, have both, the both and we have we the have nicest both.
1: narrow leaf we've ever had.
2: Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, really, 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 is really, not really as nice. nice stuff. As the tropical, looks but with but those you know the tropical
1: large the, wide leaves. Right, they,
3: and the flowers I think are much prettier. I mean, and the flowers are similar in shape on both but the colors are much more vibrant they're, they're prettier i
2: agree well I, I, before the show started i had mentioned to, mentioned to you guys i don't think i've ever seen a monarch on a narrowleaf milkweed before
3: i've seen would, bees on the flower but i don't think i've seen a monarch I'm, I'm, on a I've never, either i've never
2: i've se- never seen i've never seen a caterpillar on a on a narrowleaf milkweed that doesn't mean it doesn't happen yeah. obviously it does happen. it does happen um but um, I, I personally have not seen it. Over the last two weeks with the warm weather, I've seen a lot of monarchs
1: fluttering around my yard looking at yellow lantana stopping mm-hmm. by and having a, a sip on their way somewhere. I have no milkweed in my yard, but I have a lot of monarchs mm-hmm. uh, they are just coming for
2: food on their way somewhere. I in one of the gardening groups that I follow on Facebook somebody was saying that they were having a they were having issues with something that was eating some of their plants in their yard which it apparently apparently turned out to be a a caterpillar but they were concerned about what they could do to control it because they didn't want to kill the they didn't want to kill the any monarch caterpillars that were on the plants well they weren't talking about milkweed they were talking about other plants in their yard and monarchs only monarch caterpillars only feed on milkweed they don't feed on other they're their host specific right they, the, the
3: caterp- they're not going to lay an egg on a on a on redbud on and on, on, right. on
2: a bud or right. a lantana or or anything else in your yard they're only going to lay their eggs they're only going to lay their eggs on on milkweed now that said the butterflies themselves they will feed on pretty much anything that's in bloom so they will gather nectar from a wide variety of plants but they will not lay eggs on anything other than a milkweed so if you're you're having insect issues on plants other than milkweed but you're concerned about the monarchs there are some workarounds on that where you where you can where you can treat the the problems that you're having without endangering the monarchs themselves so
3: do you know what I saw swallowtails like. feeding on that I never noticed before? Bougainvillea and um, Agapanthus on the flowers. On the flowers, watch I, swallowtails come in and sit there and and feed on them. Oh,
1: feed? Okay, yeah. I was thinking the
2: butterflies. The okay. yeah, butterflies. I don't think I've ever seen anything feed on a bougainvillea other than whatever that little caterpillar is that eats the foliage. The flowers when, on bougainvilleas, they are that big. I watched them
3: go from flower to flower.
2: That's very interesting. Yeah, because a lot of people think of Bougainville V as the, with the big. They think it has a big flower on it. The flower is the flowers actually very tiny, small, right. maybe a quarter of an inch across, something like that. But less, it's, the, less it's, than that. it's the it's the it's the bracts that that make the flowers look big. And that's are what, you that's sure? The, I
3: am sure. I have somewhere in this phone. I have pictures. I'll, sh- okay, I'll find them for you.
2: Those. That is very interesting. I was not aware of that.
1: No, I, they love lantana. That is for sure, and I know they love pentas. Yes. Um, but the pentas sometimes doesn't overwinter well. Maybe it's because of OE or something. Um,
2: but the lantana sure does. Well, The, usually make the two major hosts for swallowtails are, are citrus. For the, the one variety the, of the, swallowtails. The, the, the and, anise is and anise. That right. anise. Yeah. Anise swallowtails, I think, yeah. are probably the biggest one I remember. Right. Um, but that, that's
3: for, when you say host, that's for them to come and lay their eggs for, for the to caterpillars. To feed, eat, yeah. Right. yeah. They'll was, do parsley, say. fennel. Yeah. That,
2: that's right yeah. yeah i have i have seen i have seen them on parsley and dill right. Uh when i was a kid growing up in bay park we had an alley a dirt alley that ran behind our house between the between the houses and the fennel used to grow like crazy right. or anise the anise grew like crazy uh, up and down the alley huge huge bushes of it and there were always swallowtail caterpillars in it my kids and i used to go collect that
1: and bring it home and watch the process yeah it was really it's, it's really a per, it,
2: it, they're very pretty butterflies yes. and then for the ones that you get on citrus it's the uh, the bird poop caterpillar yes the and orange looks, dog caterpillar yeah. yeah looks like a bird came in a big bird a, big, <laughs> a, a very big, big bird, bird depending big on bird. what stage yeah it's in. but the interesting thing about those is for the si- for the size of the caterpillar compared to the size of the plant they don't do that much damage so if you like the butterflies that's the one just let them go i mean they're you're not you're not going to lose you're not going to lose a plant because i've got citrus and containers in my yard and they they don't i've had them on there and they don't do that much damage rarely do you have enough on there to warrant control yeah exactly you're listening to garden talk here on kcbq and kprz if you want to give us a call 888-344-1170 is the number we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more right after this With more garden talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ I'm Ken Anderson along with David Ross and George Allman. Mark Mahady has the weekend off. Um, some interesting news for people that like avocados. I like okay. avocados. Oh I love avocados. It's probably one of my favorite one of my favorite foods. There's a new one coming out. And it's not yours. Yes. <laughs> Darn it. Yet. Yes. Thank you. Uh, it's called Luna UCR, and I'm assuming UCR comes from University of California. Riverside?
1: That Riverside?
2: I yeah. think that's a fair... Uh, so it says rind. it's, it's uh, called Luna UCR and offers consumers great flavor, a rind that turns a telltale black when ripe, uh, high post-harvest quality. Growers, meanwhile, will benefit from a smaller tree size, allowing denser plantings for more efficient and safer harvesting and minimal pruning. You know, talk about safer harvesting, you drive through North County and you look at where the... What's left of the avocado orchards on the sides of those mountains? And as big as those trees are, I that's have no—I no, have no idea. That's how not they, what they're talking about. What are you talking about?
1: They're talking about dangers in harvesting. Somebody like me getting up on a ten-foot ladder and holding a fifteen-foot avocado picker
2: to get to the top oh. of this tree on level ground. <laughs> oh, well, that's true, yeah. But man, you look at those—some of those groves. It's crazy. It's like, how the it? heck do they harvest those things? Anyway. Um, it also has a flower type that makes it an, makes it an efficient pollinizer for various avocado varieties, in, including the stalwart Haas, uh, the world's leading variety. Uh, planting the Luna UCR intermingled with other varieties could help ensure good yields by increasing pollination rates. So it must...
3: I would say m- it's a B type It type must be because Haas B type is an A, then, right? Yeah. Uh,
2: developed by the University of California Riverside, agricultural scientists, the... Uh, Developed by the University of California Riverside Agricultural Scientists, the Luna UCR, uh, which is trademarked, uh, is officially known as the BL-516. I think Luna sounds much better. Uh, it is protected under a pending patent that credits Mary Lou Ar- Arpeya, uh, UC Cooperative Extension Horticulturalist based at UCR, and her colleague Eric Folk, a UCR staff research associate. In the Botany and Plant Sciences Department in the College of Natural and Agricultural Sciences, uh, other credited co-inventors are former UCR scientist Gray Martin and the late David uh, and the late uh, Bob Berg, who left UCR in 1991. So, what was uh,
3: interesting about that is it, this was a 50-year process to get that plant.
2: Yeah, and they they have the lineage of it, and it's. Their great-grandmother of it is Haas, which was introduced in 1938. Uh, Their grandmother is Thill, which is one I have not heard of before, T-H-I-L-L-E, which was introduced in 1954. The mother is Gwen, which was introduced in 1983.
1: And And isn't Gwen Gray Martin's, isn't that Mrs. Martin?
3: You told me I mean, that. I I don't I only know it, it from you. So it might be real. I'll, but Gray I'll Martin, the that. individual that you just cited, he mm-hmm. is the he did the um gem. gem, which are his initials, his name is Gray E. Martin. So that's where that okay. one came from.
2: And so that so from Gwen we get um Luna U C R.
3: And they said that they did about seventy thousand genetically different seed, seedlings to get to this tree.
2: That's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, it says uh, the development of Luna UCR has been intergenerational. It goes back to the work of Berg in the 1950s, uh, who, uh, who Ar- Arpey had um, described him as UCR's first real long-term avocado breeder. Uh, back then, the avocado industry sought a green-skinned Haas as an alternative, the smooth-skinned and green-colored Fuerte avocado, the nation's top seller from the 1920s to the 1970s. I didn't know that, that Fuerte was that. Was bigger than was Haas. There. I thought Fuertes were usually just planted to – Fuerte is a bee. It's a bee-type yeah. flower, right? I thought Fuertes were just planted to get more Haas avocados in your out of your production rather than
1: production on their own. I grew, up on, I, the, on I grew own. up on an acre
2: of Fuertes with a single Haas in the grove.
3: So, is the opposite. It's
2: the other way around. Interesting.
3: Go ahead, I was going to say that the, the Gwyn, though, I think the reason it didn't really catch on was because it was green and people were expecting, you know, it, it ripened at green and they were looking for that black telltale sign.
2: The, well, this is interesting. It says, uh, meaning strong in Spanish, the Fuerte is also named because it survived deep freezes in Los Angeles in the early 20th century. Uh, has excellent flavor, but was a problem for growers because it's an alternate year. It's an alternate Bearing. fruit bearer, right. which means that the pr- trees produce robust crops, but only once every two years. Uh, the hosp meanwhile, had much going for it, including great nutty flavor and a skin that is easily peeled. But in the mid 50s or so, consumers turned their noses to the hoss because they associated its black skin when ripe with rotten, spoiled fruit, which, yeah. Yeah, a, a, a rotten hoss is going to kind of look like a ripe, a, a like ripe, a ripe hoss, Haas. but there's a big difference. But it's skin, easy, it, it's, yeah. It's, well, it's, it's yeah. easy to tell. Right. It, it, yeah. it doesn't take much to, to sort that one out. Yeah. So,
3: Easily discerned.
2: Uh, let's see. So Berg went to work planting thousands, thousands of genetically different avocado seedlings from a fill avocado, an offspring of the hoss, in search of a perfect green version of an otherwise hoss-like fruit. So more than 20 years later, in 1983, he succeeded with the release of the Gwen, named after his wife. Okay. Uh, but that was Berg, not... Okay. But well, well, it was, was in the same circle, the same circle Martin. of
1: friends. But the two of them hybridized it, so... Uh, yeah. Unfortunately,
2: unfortunately, the Gwen avocado was a commercial flop because the black-skinned Haas had made it after all... Um technology and advertising solve consumer issues with the black skin. The use of ethylene gas in warehouses allowed for the uniform ripening of avocados that are picked when they are still green and a ripe for tonight advertising campaign taught consumers that avocados are ripe and ready to eat when the skin turns black. Well, I don't know that that's exactly... And they're soft. Exactly. they got to be soft before before they're ready to eat, I would say. Um... The arrival of drip irrigation has meant Haas groves could be planted on steep hillsides, which we were talking about, including those along the interst- Interstate 15 corridor on both sides of the border between Riverside and San Diego counties. Uh, this allowed for a great expansion of the industry in Southern California in the late 1960s and 70s. I was anyway. raised
1: a Fuerte guy, but the Haas avocado, because of how much longer it stores, the thicker skin for scooping out the flesh, it's, it's pretty darn good avocado. Haas? I have nothing bad to say. I got, about I got, it.
2: I got nothing, and I got nothing on it. It's a, it, it. it as far as I'm concerned, it's a great avocado, I think and if most you, of
3: them are great avocados. And, and I but, don't
2: know what all this breeding is for. I, you can just let a
1: few seeds sprout under your tree and see pull one of them and say, "Hey, this is
2: great." Yeah, you, you can. Um, no, no, you and, can,
3: but you never know what you're going to get. Right? You never know so. what you're
2: going to get. Anyway, um, classes today. In San Diego at 9 o'clock, tea time with Kathleen. 9.30, it's a uh, Backyard Tropical Fruit with Mike Letzring. Next week, it's going to be Container Do's and Don'ts with Constance in San Diego at 9 o'clock. And 9.30 in Poway next weekend, it's going to be fairy Gardens with Richard Wright. I so, concur. So, we have
3: concurrence. Confidence is high.
2: Yeah. It's going to be hot this weekend. Like we said, keep an eye on your yard, adjust your sprinklers, throw take a hose out, And if you're out in the yard, make sure you drink plenty of water. And uh, if you're walking on concrete, make sure you got some shoes on. That's a good tip. It's that's a very good tip. Yeah. So you've been listening to Garden Talk here on KCBQ and KPRZ. We will be back next week with another hour of Garden Talk. And for those of you listening on the East Coast, like my friend Mark does, thank you. We really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us on Garden Talk by Walter Anderson Nursery, your source for gardening, landscaping, and horticulture news. Still have a question for the Garden Talk crew or want to learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor? Send an email to askanexpert@walteranderson.com. at That's askanexpert@walteranderson.com, at or visit walteranderson.com. There's more professional gardening advice next week at this same time on Garden Talk by Walter Anderson Nursery. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military.
1: Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding.
2: He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off
0: alarm bells.